working towards a hunger-free America. And we want to do that not only through feeding people, but also nourishing people, improving their diet quality, and empowering communities. And so that could mean improving their financial security, uh, making sure that people have access to other services around housing and mental health, not just where the next meal is going to come from. Welcome to The Value in Giving. I'm your host and president of Vanguard Charitable, Jane Greenfield. The Value in Giving podcast gives us an opportunity to hear from leaders across the world of philanthropy. These leaders share their insights and experiences so that you're informed as you think through how to have impact with your charitable dollars. On today's show, we have Casey Marsh, Chief Development Officer of Feeding America. Welcome, Casey. Thank you, Jane. It's so nice to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Your organization is one that our donors are supporting a lot right now. So I thought we'd ask you to start us off by telling us a little bit about what Feeding America does and how you got started. Sure. Well, Feeding America is the largest charitable food organization in the nation. Our network is comprised of 200 food banks and 60,000 agencies serving every county in our country. And one of the strengths of Feeding America's food banks is the deeply rooted presence in those local communities. We have at least one food bank in every state, working through hundreds of partners um, and a presence in every community. So before, even before COVID-19, our food banks um, had not yet met the vast need of 37 million people facing food insecurity in the U.S. That was pre-COVID including 12 million kids and 7 million seniors. Uh, And the way that Feeding America got started is the concept of food banking was really developed by a gentleman named John Van Hengel in Phoenix, Arizona in the late 60s. And I think you'll, um, you'll enjoy the story that Van Hengel was a retired businessman at the time. And he had been volunteering at a soup kitchen. He was trying to find food to serve the hungry. And one day he met a very desperate mother who was regularly, he noticed, rummaging through grocery store garbage bins. And she was trying to find food for her children. So she suggested that there should be a place where instead of food being thrown out and discarded, a place where food could be stored for people to pick up. It's kind of similar to the way that regular banks store money for future use. And with that, uh, the food banking industry was born. That's an amazing story and just goes to show how much of a difference one person can make. Well, I have to ask you, though, you mentioned the words food insecurity. Can you tell me what you mean by that? What's the definition of food insecurity? Sure. Food insecurity is when people really are not entirely sure where their next meal is coming from. So that is a wide spectrum of different times, different situations where people may have to make really difficult decisions about a very limited income and where they invest that. So there may be some weeks where Families are faced with a decision of, do we buy 
medicine? Do we buy clothing? Is there an unexpected healthcare cost? Or do we buy food with these funds? So it's really that lack of security of knowing how you're going to be able to eat your next meal, where it's coming from, and how you're going to take care of your family. Well, you mentioned that before COVID, you were serving 37 million people. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's happened since COVID. But before we do, I know that you recently joined Feeding America. You don't sound like you've only been there a short amount of time. You absolutely know what's going on. But can you give a little background on your bio, where you've been, and what brought you to Feeding America? Yes, I'm actually only entering month two on the job at Feeding America, which has been a really interesting time, especially as I onboard completely remotely. And for the past 13 years, I have been with UNICEF USA. I was a vice president for fundraising there, really overseeing a significant portion of our regional teams. And prior to that, I was with the AIDS Foundation of Chicago as their vice president of development two organizations that I'm still very passionate about and love dearly. Sounds like you like tackling big goals. But I do have to mention to you, you may be aware of this. I had the chance to interview Michael Neinheis for our podcast series just uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, who is the new CEO of UNICEF. I think he was probably entering when you were coming over to Feeding America. That is very true. And I love that coincidence. Um, Michael also had to onboard in a very uh, unique, remote, virtual way. And we did overlap only briefly. But I do have to say that that's one of my, um, not regrets, but something that I often think about that I would have loved to have worked more closely with Michael for a longer period of time, uh, because he's just an incredible leader. He really is. He really is. Well, at some point, we'll have to do a podcast series on what it's like to join an organization remotely. Uh, but that's not the topic for today. So let's talk about the, the challenge that this pandemic has put on the plate, if you will, of Feeding America. Many of the communities that were hit the hardest by the pandemic were already communities that were facing food insecurity. So Can you tell me how food insecurity has been impacted by COVID-19 and give me a bit of insight into the numbers, first of all? COVID-19 has really presented a triple whammy for Feeding America and for our network, meaning that we've seen incredible increased demand. We've seen declines in the donations of food, and we've also seen disruptions to the charitable food assistance systems operating model. So it has been um, a really difficult time period. I mentioned that um, the numbers before COVID that about 37 million Americans were facing food insecurity, but we also estimate that the pandemic could push as many as 17.1 million more people into food insecurity. So a total of 54.3 million people, which means one in every six Americans as a result, in part as a result of COVID-19. Even if the supply remained the same and the distribution remained the same, that kind of increase in demand would be a huge challenge. Yeah, it really it really has already been a big challenge and now has just um, gone through the roof. 
Um, the, the network remains resilient and very strong, and it has really pushed the network to innovate in new ways to address this perfect storm to make sure Americans facing hunger have the food that they need. If you could imagine that a lot of the food banks really rely on their army of volunteers from the community, and many of those volunteers maybe are seniors um, who have been volunteering for a long time, suddenly those food banks faced a situation where they couldn't really use or rely on those volunteers because of security issues, making sure that they're personally staying healthy and safe and socially distant. So that was a a big challenge, as well as the decrease in donations um, as, you know, shelf-stable food in grocery stores were flying off off the shelves with people kind of um, in that initial panic of COVID-19. And so donations decreased and we really had to figure out how to overcome some of those challenges um, in a whole new world. So let's unpack that a little bit because you and I chatted about that. I found it to be very interesting. So much of what you had provided through food banks in the past was shelf-stable food. And you found yourself in a situation where you had to pivot and include food that was perishable. How did you deal with that? Yeah, and that's something that the that Feeding America has always done, but it, it did present a, an interesting situation that um, even when you're looking at dairy farmers, for example, and there's been a lot of media about this, dairy farmers suddenly were without a market in the restaurant or the airline industries and had an overabundance of product that in some cases they needed to just dump. Well, we had to really make sure that we were connecting those dairy farmers and other types of farmers to food banks in their local communities. Um, and that's not always as easy as it sounds. If you think about the, the distribution chain, um, just ensuring that food banks have enough room for refrigerated supplies. So even if we are, you know, as we were connecting farmers to donate their product to local food banks, not all of them had the space to keep the product and store the product in order to be able to get it out to the community. A lot of the way that we were distributing food had to change as well. So mobile pantries were popping up in a lot greater numbers um, as people were driving through to pick up their supplies and their food assistance instead of visiting a local pantry. Uh, and we had to figure out how to do that safely and make sure that we had the correct protective gear uh, for staff and in some cases for some volunteers that were helping. So there were a lot of implications to all of this that, that really needed to be considered. Um, and I think for me, one of the most striking things is that a lot of the people who are visiting food banks right now because of COVID are first-time visitors. So they have never been in the situation where they've relied on or had to turn to the charitable food assistance network. A great, great deal. And in some cases, former volunteers of food banks had to turn to visiting food banks as, as first time clients. So I think that we're, it's been, um, a whole new demographic face of hunger in looking at who is turning to food banks to really make sure that they're getting the assistance that they need. 
Wow. So just to step back, a perfect storm, as you said, of the demand for food increasing, the supply decreasing, and then multiple challenges on the distribution front, such as how to distribute when volunteers are fewer in number, how to distribute when people don't want to walk into a building, they want to pick up curbside, if you will, and how to store food, more perishable food, on site at a food bank than had been stored in the past. These are huge challenges all coming at the same time. How did Feeding America handle this? Uh, I think that Feeding America really, uh, in in all situations, looks at the the challenge in a very comprehensive way and looks at how can we work with partners and allies in the private sector, in the government sector, our board members, our donors, and most importantly, our food banks and the leaders of our food banks who are in their communities and who know what's going to work in those communities. And they're all vastly different. I think that's part of the value that this national federated network brings to our country is that we can share those best practices and those learnings and discussions on a really efficient and broad way instead of every food bank solving every issue on their own. So that was really um, helpful. And I think that just a testament to how well we were able to meet the challenge is that if you look at the time period from March 1st through May 24th alone, which you know was very much in that height of um, the initial shocks of the pandemic, our network has distributed about 1.3 billion meals to people facing hunger in the United States. So if those numbers remained, that would put our network on pace to distribute 6 billion meals annually moving forward if that current level of distribution were to hold steady. And of course, in order to do what you're doing, you need people to donate. You need people to give and to help you out. So let's turn to that. That's obviously an area that you're passionate about. You have responsibility for that. Um, so Casey, tell me, how have you raised funds during this time? And how has that differ from past timeframes for Feeding America? Well, the response has been incredible. And it, it really has been incredible across foundations, across donor advised funds such as Vanguard, across individual givers, Online donations have increased. Um, we've had incredible support from corporate donors just across the board. I've been so encouraged and heartened by the outpouring of support for this issue. It's really raised the visibility of the problem of hunger in America and food insecurity, which has been there for a long time. Um, but this has provided a moment as a country to really reflect on this crisis that didn't just impact one of our communities, but all of our communities in the country. So I think that we've seen just incredible support. And to give you some sense of our COVID-19 fund, which was, you know, quickly put into place at the beginning of the, the crisis, we have surpassed the $300 million mark for that fund and still getting incredible support for it. Our overall budget, uh, revenue budget for 
this fiscal year that we're currently in, we had budgeted approximately $170 million uh, pre-COVID, you know, without that on the radar at all. Um, and we were able to meet and exceed that goal in addition to more than $300 million in the COVID-19 relief fund. All of those dollars, none of them were, um, no administrative or fundraising expenses were retained by Feeding America. Um, and I'm really proud of our network and our organization and our leadership to be able to say that by the end of July, all of the funds that we have received up until June 1st will be out, deployed completely to our network. So that also is a testament to how quickly we had to make sure we were getting funds out to food banks and into the areas that need it the most. Well, that's amazing. It also speaks to the fact that you need continued donations, continued support from your donors. I know at Vanguard Charitable, we try to help our donors in times of crisis by providing insight into which organizations are on the ground helping out. And of course, Feeding America is front and center on our website, and our donors have been jumping in to support you. And I'm very glad to hear that. Your donors have just been amazing. And you're right. I mean, the, the need hasn't ended. We're, you know, we're still in this. It's not a short term crisis. And we're not even sure, and you and I both, and, and the, the larger public is not sure how this will continue to unfold. But it is important to note for your donors that 94% of the food banks in our network reported seeing an increase in the number of people served compared to this time last year. And that increase is close to about 60% more. So it, it really, the need is still there. And um, unfortunately, I anticipate that it will be there for quite a while. Thank you, Casey. We'll be right back. talk about what you plan to do going forward. You have done an amazing job jumping in and addressing a very tough situation and tough to put your team into action to address it. You did have a bit of a perfect storm. And now you're likely trying to think through what lies ahead. So as you said, we don't know everything. We don't have perfect clarity into what lies ahead. But what are some of the things that you're thinking about when it comes to the future of dealing with food insecurity? Yes, we, um, we have had a lot of discussions um, across our organization and across our network about lessons learned already from COVID-19 and what remains the same, to be honest. And one thing that really bubbles to the top as we're looking at how do we refine our priorities as we move forward in the next five to 10 years is equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, now more than ever, I think it has really become incredibly apparent that to achieve a vision of a hunger-free America, feeding our America and the network and our partners and our donors really have to address the root causes of hunger and deepen our understanding of structural, systemic, racial inequities that helped to get us to the place where some communities are 
incredibly marginalized and people there are in need of a lot more assistance. And COVID-19 really uh, put a spotlight on that. I think communities, it's been really, really apparent with stories and data that continue to highlight the disproportionate impact uh, on a number of populations, including people of color, people who are underinsured or uninsured completely, people who are incarcerated, essential workers, volunteers, undocumented individuals, people living with mental illness, and I could go on and on, as you can tell. But it really did highlight the connection between food insecurity and hunger and inequities, racial inequities in our country. Uh, And I'll give you a quick example. Before COVID-19, food insecurity rates were at about 18.7% and 17.3% in Mississippi and Arkansas, respectively. Now we're projecting that the rates are closer to 30% in those two states alone just in the next six months. So we, we have a lot of data and research that shows us that we need to be investing at the same rate disproportionately in those communities with such vulnerable populations. And I think that that will continue to guide how we operate going forward. And you've mentioned to me, Casey, that not only do you work on programs to address food insecurity, but you also work on policies. You also have an office in Washington, D.C., where you try to partner with governmental agencies to find out how to ensure that people have access to government programs and support. Yes. And as Congress works on additional legislation to help families get through this crisis, Feeding America also is working and asking for support for things like increasing supplemental nutrition assistant program benefits, which is called SNAP for all recipients um, by increasing the thrifty food plan 15% for the duration of the economic downturn, not just during the immediate crisis, but really looking to them to provide critical food assistance and help promote economic stimulus if families have the additional funds to at least be able to cover their needs when it comes to food, it does help the economy. They'll be able to go out and purchase clothing or books or school supplies or other things with with the additional disposable income. So that's something that has been really, really important to us, increasing that SNAP minimum benefit to help individuals impacted by COVID-19 especially seniors, for the duration of the economic downturn. And we're not quite sure yet how how long that will be. So one of the things we think about at Vanguard Charitable when it comes to disaster relief is there's more than one stage of disaster relief. The first is response, immediate response. And you see people pouring in to see what they can do with their time and their money. And that's fabulous. But most disasters also have a period that we call recovery. And it sounds like some of the things you're thinking about might be in that recovery phase, and then maybe even on into a phase to be more preventative for the future. That would be the the ultimate phase of disaster relief where you learn from it. And you really think about how to prevent something like that from ever happening again. So it sounds like Feeding America is in all of those phases. So when you go back to donors and you talk to them about not only the work that you have done, 
but the work that you need to do to address food insecurity for the long term. How do you advise them to think about their giving? Yes, I think that there are two aspects to that. And one is, of course, the immediate need, which is often the way that a lot of our donors come to us. They really want to address the immediate need of people who are standing in lines right now. And how can I get food to them right away? How can I increase their access to food? How can I make sure that they are nourished um, and not in an emergency mode, which is so needed um, and so, so appreciated. And then there's looking at, okay, how can you come along with us as partners for the long haul? And what are we going to do to make sure that we're getting to the heart of some of these systemic changes that we need to tackle? And we are looking at a lot of ways that we're doing that. Um, We're looking at how do we transform our technology for good to make sure that um, we're looking at the food rescue landscape. So we're looking at um, some of our technologies such as Meal Connect, which is a software that we use to facilitate easy and safe and quick donations from grocery stores or convenience stores to food banks or to food pantries or meal programs. Uh, so a lot of donors are really interested in that, looking at, okay, how do we get more efficient as a system? We also are looking at donors who are really passionate about the environment. And sometimes you wouldn't necessarily connect your passion with the environment with Feeding America. But an enormous amount of good, safe food is wasted in the U.S., about 72 billion pounds every year. And this is not due to COVID necessarily. This is an ongoing 72 billion pounds. About half of that is wasted by consumers in their homes. And every year, 40% of food grown and processed is, is not consumed at all. So if you look at that food waste, that accounts for a large chunk of all landfill volume. And it's a major source of greenhouse gas. So the waste that's occurring at every stage, whether it's production, distribution, farmers, packers, shippers, Feeding America is uniquely positioned to rescue this food at each of those phases. So reducing food waste is a really powerful opportunity for you as as a donor to partner with us to help address some pressing issues, hunger and climate change. Um, and, And that's something that I think the scale and the scope of Feeding America puts us in a great leadership position to do that. That's so interesting. So even if every American was food secure, there would still be an environmental issue, an environmental problem to solve. Well, Casey, your organization has done such great work through COVID. My guess is that your brand is more recognizable today than it has been in the past. How are you thinking about kind of leveraging that to make sure that people do know the problems that you're tackling and how you're really not only serving people today, but getting underneath those root causes. That is very true. Our brand has seen a huge boost um, for a terrible reason, but I mean, it's great that more people know about Feeding America. So this is a moment that we're really trying to leverage. How do we continue to unite people and increase that public passion to end hunger? How are we going to ask people to do the follow-up, the next step to take action and really continue to build the movement that has already started 
in part due to this emergency. So we're working towards a hunger-free America, and we want to do that not only through feeding people, but also nourishing people, improving their diet quality, and empowering communities. So that could mean improving their financial security, uh, making sure that people have access to other services around housing and mental health, not just where the next meal is going to come from. Well, it's important work you've been doing. I thank you so much. And I thank all of your colleagues at Feeding America for the important work that you've been doing and have done for decades. And I'd like to thank you also for being on our podcast. I'll thank the audience as well. Thanks for listening. I hope that you found today's conversation to be interesting and informative. And I hope you all find the value in giving.